Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grey NATO, a loose discussion of travel, adventure, diving, driving, gear, and most certainly watches. This is episode 238, and it's proudly brought to you by the ever-growing TGN Supporter Group. We thank you all so much for your continued support, and if you're listening and interested in supporting the show, please visit thegreynado.com for more details. James, it's uh, it's good to be back in the chair here behind the mic. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, it feels like we haven't talked in a while. I definitely like, you know, I've, I, fo- I followed the, the obviously the, the main topic for this show today is kind of a download from scotland and your your recent trip out there and i uh, i followed along on on instagram but i mean when you're on vacation like we don't chat every single day like we might otherwise and uh i'm, I'm excited to hear about how it went yeah it was a great trip and and i guess we got back uh what's tuesday we got back last thursday so i'm still still battling a little bit of jet lag but i it's much better coming this direction i i don't know the logic and i've given up trying to you know put any logic to jet lag but on the way over there it was hours were were weird you know getting up and sleeping and then coming home has been actually quite pleasant i I don't mind going to bed at 8 30 and getting up at four because it gets light here around five o'clock these days and i like mornings and so um, i'm kind of enjoying it kind of enjoying a good eight hours of kind of jet laggy sleep and and some nice mornings that's nice we're i'm recording this remote uh, extra remotely we record almost all of these remotely of course but i'm currently on the west coast in an area called the Kootenays um, in near Nelson, BC, visiting my brother. Uh, so I'm also dealing with jet lag, but we just decided um, we've been out for six or seven days, my wife and myself, and we just decided to essentially keep East Coast time. Oh, sure. <laughs> so it's a, it's a little bit sleepless because you're up a little later, you're visiting with people and doing stuff like, you know, lo- in local time, but we've been getting up at, you know, six yeah, uh, yeah. here so that we can be on, on time for, you know, hours with Hodinkee and that sort of thing. But I've taken a couple days off and and the only thing I'm doing today is recording this and then we're going to head up to a a hot springs, but I've had a good, it's been a great like a week as of today uh, out on the West coast. So nice. Yeah. Change of scenery is good, isn't it? I mean, no matter what, where you go, it could be across state line or, or, you know, flight within the country. And it's like, it's just refreshing see new people. And yeah. Yeah. And speaking of that, I mean, yeah, see some old friends, saw some new people. We both did hangouts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in our, in our given spaces. So t- tell me about the meetup on the 23rd. Yeah, that was funny. I mean, speaking of, of meeting new people um, or just seeing different people, uh, it, it, I didn't really know what to expect. And, and we flew in uh, to Glasgow on the, the 22nd of April. And then this, this meetup was the following evening on the 23rd. And, you know, we talked about it a few episodes ahead of time and, and, ask people to, to write and say if they were coming or not. And we got a good response, but I just wasn't sure. And, um, it was a great turnout. We had, I didn't really do a head count, but I would say between 25 and 35 people maybe. And it was, it was upstairs in a private Very room nice. above a, a really great, um, pub or restaurant called the Finiston in, in Glasgow. And I mean, it was, it was kind of your, your typical, uh, typical watch meetup with a lot of Scottish accents and, <laughs> and it was great. But you know, as, as it goes with these things, I mean, it was really not really about watches at all. It was more about um, just hanging out and meeting. There was a lot of, saw some TGN kerchiefs and t-shirts and nice, you know, NATO straps and, and, you know, familiar names, I guess, from, from listener questions and from Slack and from emails, you know, too many people to, to name of course, but, but I got to meet Tom from Clements watches and he brought, a couple of his watches that I hadn't actually seen in person. That was fun. And then uh, Kenneth from Arkin, you know, you met him yeah, um, in Geneva and he came and uh, he brought, uh, he brought one of his um, instrumentum watches, which I finally got a chance to try out. Um, and he let me uh, kind of take it around Scotland after that, which was, uh, which was a blast. Um, what a, what a cool piece and and what a great guy. Yeah. And and then afterwards, Super. after the event, uh, Gashani and, and Kenneth and I went, across the street to the Ben Nevis pub. And it's just this great whiskey bar with, uh, there was like this impromptu little band playing in the corner and uh, we had a whiskey and then parted ways for the day. But uh, yeah, it was so great to, to meet all these, all these uh, people. Chris McRiddle came and, and a, a fellow named Austin flew over from Ireland for it. And, and then um, Riley uh, and his wife, Chelsea, um, who are from the U S but he's stationed currently in the Cotswolds in England um, with the air force. He, they made like a five hour drive up to, Oh, to wow. see us and that was uh, good to see him i've seen him uh kind of all over the place now he came to minneapolis once and and so yeah it's been it's been fun that's great yeah and you know i, I just got to throw out thanks to everybody who came once more and and also to to lewis heath um who, whose interview um will run a little later in this episode from honor dane and, and david from scottish watches who both kind of worked together to organize the space and, and round up oh, that's uh, so you know, nice. some extra people and you know that that local 
connection really, really made a difference. And so, you know, thanks to those guys. But uh, yeah, on on the same on the same sort of trajectory for me, like I, I came out to Vancouver uh, to do a little bit of work with uh, Jason Gallup at Roldorf. Uh, we're doing a bigger story about my grandfather's watch, which he spoke about on uh, our, the recent episode that he was on. But, you know, there's going to be a written story that I had alluded to. So out here working on that and getting the photos we need and that kind of thing. And, and just figured we'd throw it up on Instagram if people wanted to swing by the new shop. It was open to the extent that he could have some people in. And I was surprised. I thought maybe, you know, five, ten of the guys I already knew in the city would rock up <laughs> yeah. and we'd have a normal hangout. It, would, it was kind of compressed where I wouldn't have to see one or two of them for coffee here and two others for drinks there. It would all be in one spot. Yeah. And man, it was probably like about the same as what you had, like probably between wow. 30 and 40 people Nice. Um, over the course of a couple hours, had some pizza, had some local beer. And met, got to meet a, a handful of new folks uh, that, you know, we've, we've only known either from emails or from Slack and that sort of thing. So it was really nice. Some great watches showed up, you know, got to kind of close the loop with some new friends that, again, we only kind of know digitally. And then a handful of kind of the old uh, crew from uh, my Vancouver days also showed up. So it was great to see uh, pretty much everybody. It was, it was just a really fun time. Uh, some great cameras, lots of great watches and, and a ton of great conversations. And some people made like also, yeah, some pretty significant transit to make it there. Wow. Cool. Uh, so a huge thank you to everybody who showed up to that. Uh, I know that myself and uh, Jason and Mary from uh, Roldorf all, you know, very thankful for the the turnout and for the the camaraderie of the event. It was a, uh, it was really fun. Was this the first time you'd seen the new shop? Yeah, yeah. This is this is the first time I've seen the new shop. So they're they're you know around the corner, and I saw the you know what's essentially just a, a rubble pit uh, yeah. for where the old building, the you know Water Street Hotel is now. Uh, but they're in a great location. The shop is beautiful. It's like weirdly almost identical to the old one, but kind of reversed. Huh. Um, and you know he's got a, a Brody, a new watchmaker in there, and they're working and getting everything going. It's uh, I think it's going to be good for them. Uh, it's a nice location, a very long-standing business in the community. You know now in its third location, so it was it was great to get out there and to get some photos uh, of Jason and, and the watch in the space and the rest of it. So uh, I, I think it'll be a pretty successful story once I put the rest of it together. But that's only you know one one piece of the puzzle for that watch. So having a good time putting that together. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, other, otherwise, um, you know, obviously I want to get to a bunch of different details about your trip, but I'll, I'll get some of the Vancouver stuff out of the way here. I'll be home by the time this airs. So again, we spent a few days in Vancouver and then a few days in the Kootenays. Uh, I've been doing a few little hikes, uh, kind of visiting the area, trying out some of the good restaurants. It's, it's Nelson and, and the kind of surrounding areas. Really beautiful. Played a, a really fun half round of golf yesterday. Wow. In Castlegar, uh, absolutely gorgeous. My brother's a, a huge golf nerd, so it's always fun <laughs> to get out with him. The yeah. stakes couldn't be lower when I'm swinging, but uh, we had a good time. <laughs> oh, I also got a chance, you know, I, I knew I was coming out here and was going to be kicking around and wanted to kind of change some of the feel of the photography bit. So when I was in New York, I can't remember if I talked about it on a previous show, probably not because we had Thomas on, but uh, I picked up like a 21 millimeter lens. Oh, so nice normally I'm yeah. shooting 35 or yeah. 50 in the the queues of 28 but i only brought my m10 with me huh. uh and when i was in new york last i picked up this voigtlander's it's the 21 millimeter color scope bar is what it's called it's an f4 hmm. and i thought it would be fun for a variety of stuff and kind of just mix things up and it also gives me so i now have 21 35 50 and 90 which is like yeah. a pretty nice range but across yeah. four lenses and it's this little tiny not quite a pancake lens but it is like minute changes the whole balance of the camera huh. we were doing some nice hikes along these kind of very rushing rivers um in the area and i uh, got a bunch of pictures so know, swing by my instagram or something to see those or if you're on the slack i'll drop them into the photography channel in the next couple days very cool but yeah just uh this is my only piece of work for today um <laughs> other than you know you can never really escape email uh even if you're on vacation yeah. but um beyond that uh, we're gonna go drive up to halcyon this afternoon and check out the hot springs and then tomorrow i kind of start the process of getting back to vancouver and then waiting at the airport for a while to fly home so that's when i'll be editing this episode yeah yeah but that's what i've been up to for the last little while i'm, I'm excited to dig into kind of the the layout of, of your trip because you know following it just on instagram and the occasional text message it sounds like you had just a great time and saw a good a good bit of skyland yeah and as uh, as mike pearson our friend uh, told me before before um, we left on this trip he said well, get ready to, to to meet your new favorite country. Yeah, I'm surprised you came home. Yeah, he he knew <laughs> that I would uh, 
I would really latch on and, and feel right at home. And, and sure enough, it was, um, it was, it was predictably great. Uh, it exceeded expectations and, and we can certainly jump into it, but let's, let's do a quick, uh, wrist check before we do. I, I could, oh, I could yeah, almost please. guess what you're wearing. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I just brought the Pelagos, yeah. uh, the 39. So still wearing that. It's still on the, um, post style strap. I brought the Apple watch with me to try, try out a little bit more like the hiking stuff and, and that sort of thing. But I definitely don't want uh, notifications that I don't strictly need uh, yeah. when I'm taking a couple days off. So just the Pelagos. Other than that, I only brought my grandfather's watch, and it's not one that I'm kind of actively wearing. Yeah, it's more of an heirloom piece that I want to make sure we get this right. story done yeah. before. <laughs> it, you know, this is a watch that's experienced some calamity in it in its past. So yeah, just just the Pelagos, which is perfect because um, you know, when you're traveling in and out of hotels, I don't want to take the watch off. I want to sleep with it on. Right. It it is useful to know what time it is when you're waking up in the middle of the night and your brain's all kind of fried on a little bit of jet lag and that sort yeah. of thing. So great watch yeah. uh you know have had it in the pool uh we'll get it in the in the you know hot springs this afternoon so should be fun yeah don't don't bring the bull out of the hot springs <laughs> no i suppose not. <laughs> otherwise you'll be going back to roldorf <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly how about you i dusted off uh this rolex explorer the 14270 um it's a watch, yeah, great watch. Uh, just don't wear very much and, and then i was just wearing it i put it on yesterday and uh you know, it's 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 such a simple watch. I've often said that I find the Explorer kind of boring, but um, sometimes it's it's kind of just what you want, and and it's it, it just fits so well, it's so comfortable. I've just got it on the bracelet. Yeah, I'm not sure how many days I'll have it on, but it's uh, it's fun to pull out and wear. I can I can see the appeal. I, I know why people like this watch a lot. Yeah, those are killer. Yeah, we got it from uh, a coworker of Gashani's who it was kind of passed down from his father, and and had the box and papers. This one still has the green sticker on the back, and. Um, just thought, you know, he, he was, um, asking a, a very fair price at the time. This was a few years ago and we just picked it up and, and both of us share it, um, kind of wear it very sporadically, but, uh, it's just kind of a nice one to have in the collection because it's, uh, it's a great piece. Totally. Yeah. Well, look, we'll get into the interview with Lewis Heath from Anordain in the next few minutes. Uh, I'm excited for that one, uh, for certain. And there's some kind of interesting, uh, ties to another thing that happened today, more in the Hodinkee space, which is cool. Yeah. Let's get into kind of the download of, of your trip. What, when, when you got there, what, what was the scene and, and where did you go? Yeah. So we spent the first two, two and a half days, um, right in Glasgow, you know, we flew there via Amsterdam and, and then, uh, Lewis, um, met us at the airport and got us to our hotel right in Glasgow is a place called the Citizen M. Apparently it's a chain hotel in numerous cities and it's quite nice actually if you're <laughs> if you're in doubt and you're looking for a hotel and a, and a city has a Citizen M, I, I do recommend it. It was a, it was a pleasant place to be. And uh and then, you know, we had the event on on Sunday evening at the Finiston and uh and then Monday morning we um got up and and went over to On Ordain's studio, kind of their headquarters and offices and watchmaking space and and got a, kind of a tour of that place and uh, I posted uh, several photos on Instagram and I'm, I'm probably going to write up a Substack with a few photos about that as well at some point but so that was really fun it's, it's such a unique watch company compared to others that I visited um, mainly because their emphasis is on such artistry with the uh, the enameling and um, you know to see the people the people that work there and just a really pleasant crew so we spent some time there we sat down to do the interview um, with Lewis and then he took us out to to the Land Rover. It's a it's a 2004 Defender with the, the TD5, so it's a five cylinder diesel, um, long mm -hmm. wheelbase, two door um, that he graciously loaned us for for the, the ten days or so that we were making the, the rounds of Scotland, and then we headed off. We got right out of Glasgow and headed up um, along the shore of Loch Lomond, which is a little you know I having been used to driving a vehicle with the steering wheel on the right and, and a very familiar vehicle at that wasn't a problem and, and not even driving on the left side that, that kind of came naturally. But then, um, the difficult part of, of driving there is that how narrow the roads are. And I remember this from Wales too, but you know, you get like a stone wall on one side and then, a, you know, a lane of, of your own that is about the width of your vehicle and, and cars coming the opposite direction. It's a little, little nerve wracking, but, um, I think once we got past the windy bits past, uh, Loch Lomond, um, I was getting more comfortable and then we headed off to, uh, a beautiful area of the Highlands called Glencoe, which is probably familiar to a lot of people largely because of um, of the movie Skyfall, which is where they filmed that scene where they're uh, Bond and M are driving the Aston Martin, the DB5, to ah, okay, his childhood cool. home. And there's that kind of well-known scene where they're going along this windy road through the mountains and they pull over to the side and they kind of stand next to the car and look off into the distance. 
And um, it's a fairly famous scene. And, and I actually had the GPS coordinates for that spot. And so we, we stopped there and kind of, you know, in my Bond nerd kind of way, I, I posed and Gashani took a picture and it was kind of that perfect, perfect kind of late, late, uh, late day sun and some, some moody clouds. And so it was a, it was a good place That's to awesome. start, good way to start the trip uh, in Glencoe. For sure. Um, and then from there, I mean, we, we, we largely did, you know, I think I'd mentioned that this Land Rover Lewis had kind of outfitted with a, a sleeping platform in the back and some some rough camping gear for us to use. And and our plan was to book places a day or two ahead of time as we were going and not overly plan the trip so that we never quite okay. knew where we were going to head the next day or even the two days later. Um, so our plan B was always to sleep in the back of the, of the Land Rover if we couldn't find a place to stay. Well, as it happens, we were able to find lodging every night and, and our preference was to, you know, sleep in a little cottage or something along the way. And that's what we ended up doing. And so in Glencoe, we, we found a neat little kind of a little cottage there. And, and that was kind of the pattern for the rest of the trip. We just kind of booked places uh, a day or two ahead of time. And so from Glencoe, uh, after we, we bedded down for the night, the next day we had a full day and we went for a really nice hike um, that a few people recommended, um, including at the, uh, not only at the hotel in Glasgow, but also at our event. Um, a couple of people said, oh, you should really hike the Lost Valley. And so, you know, you can't do better than local intel uh, when it comes to for sure. good hikes. And good so, name too. Yeah. And, and it has some history. There was kind of a clan, kind of a bloodbath, kind of a clan war um, in this valley that is up this steep gorge. You kind of climb and climb and climb up and over some rocks and then you crest the top of it. And it's kind of the saddle between two mountains and you go down a little ways down the other side and it's this bowl of a valley that just opens up in front of you. And it's just a really tremendous place. And and so we kind of lingered there and spent some time and and then headed back. And we decided, you know, we had plans to go to Oban and, and maybe over to Isla to visit some of the, you know, the peaty scotch uh, distilleries and that sort of thing. But uh, we made kind of a, a game day call and decided to head a different direction and went to the Isle of Skye. Um, to which you reach via a, a ferry from a town called Malig. And so we, we drove to Malig and, and, you know, Scotland is, it's a pretty compact country. So looking at a map, I had really no sense of how long it would take to get from point A to point B. And as it turns out, like to get from Glencoe to Malig was, you know, two hours with a kind of a T-stop along the side of the road and a leg stretcher. Not too bad. Yeah. So we got there, got our ferry tickets and, Walked around Malig a little bit, went to a bookstore and, and had a beer and kind of a beer garden. And as as strange coincidences would happen, we're walking across the street, headed back towards the ferry terminal, and I hear Jason, Jason Heaton. And I said, I turn and I was like, huh? Who, you know, who's this? And it was a guy ran across the road, name's Edward. Um, he's a TGN listener. <laughs> And, uh, that's amazing. And there he was in this little town, um, of, of Malig. We couldn't chat for long, but I said, you know what? You recognize the voice? He said, no, no, I, you know, I don't know something, but I recognize the way you look or something like that. And we, I was just flabbergasted. I was just shocked, um, of all places. I thought meeting someone in Tobermory, Ontario randomly was, was a coincidence. This, this I think takes the mm -hmm. cake, but Edward was actually off to, um, to catch another ferry over to the Noidart Peninsula, which is a place that we would have loved to have visited, but didn't. And, and he was doing a, like an ultra run. Um, I think it was over a day or two, a couple hundred miles um, cross country um, to raise uh, money for, for a charity. And um, so I started following him on Instagram and, and uh, really impressive and really a nice guy. So Edward, if you're listening to this, uh, thanks for saying hi and, and good on you for, for completing that, uh, that event. So that was really cool. That's so funny. Yeah, so we went to the Isle of Skye. We we rented again. It was an Airbnb. I mean, we really had good luck with with Airbnbs this time. We we were in this sort of annex on the back of what was called the Boat Builder's Cottage, and it actually belonged to a guy who builds boats on Skye. And and it was this old kind of stone cottage, and we had kind of the back side of it. And on our full day in Skye, we we had a pretty pretty epic day. We we drove to a, a pretty famous landmark there called the Old Man of Store, uh, which is this, this kind of rock pinnacle up on the side of a mountain and and it was a, a it was the one day that was like full-on rain all day and and we just kind of suited up in our rain gear and and drove there and then um hiked up this very dramatic sometimes steep um with with beautiful views um up to this this rock pinnacle and kind of went around it and back down and 
and it was a great hike. And, uh, and then after that, we, we fittingly went to, um, we drove over to the Talisker distillery and, uh, and checked oh, that out boy. And, and tried a couple of, uh, whiskeys and, and bought some whiskey. And then near there, we just left the, the vehicle there and, and walked over to another place that a few people recommended. Um, thank you to everybody that did, uh, a little place up, uh, up the road from Talisker called, um, the oyster shed. And as the name suggests, it was, it's literally like, like, it looks like a warehouse, like an old tin roof warehouse space. Yeah. And you go in and there's, it's not heated and it's, it's not comfortable by any means. And it's just these two young guys <laughs> with, uh, to my ear, undecipherable Scottish accents who just were like, what do you want? And we're like, we'll take two dozen of, you know, whatever oysters you recommend. And they just shucked them, put them on a big tray and we, you know, gave us some hot sauce. We went to a picnic table in this little shelter um, out of the rain and just sat and wolfed down. Uh, wolfed down these oysters and kind of looked at the view out the window. Man, that sounds good. Like heaven. It was a good day. It was a really, really good day. And then, uh, and then from there, we, we'd been getting advice from uh, kind of an online friend that I hadn't met, um, but I'll talk about him in a bit. Um, his name is John, and, and John owns uh, Campbell's of Bewley, the, the shop that we visited in, in the town of Bewley. And, and we'd been um, chatting over WhatsApp kind of during the trip and, and when I, when I said anything you recommend, like that opened the floodgates and he, I just got tons of responses from him just with <laughs> suggestions. And then he said, if you do one thing, you have to go to Applecross and drive the, uh, the Applecross pass. It's a road that in Gaelic, um, is Balak Naba, which means the cow drivers pass or something like cattlemen used to, to take their, their herds okay. up and over this mountain pass. And it, it rises from sea level. Um, pretty much up to 2000 feet and then down again to sea level and windy switchbacks, single track, um, steep drop-offs, you know, rocks on one side, steep drop-offs. And, and, you know, if you encounter another vehicle on the way coming the other direction, one of you has to back up to a, a widening spot on the road and the road is a bit rough and you have to use low gear to get down some of the steep grades. And oh, wow. So it was a, it was a really dramatic place to drive um and, and really fun to do it in the land rover and we were there on a weekday so that we didn't have some of the weekend traffic that i've been told uh, can make things a little more difficult there and uh that sounds wild i like it and it ends at a at a at a little place like you can't even really call it a town there's just like one old pub hotel there called the apple cross inn with seven rooms upstairs and a pub downstairs and, and we we managed to get a room there for one night and had a, a great meal and they had a fire going in the pub and um, we went for a little walk there and, uh, and then the next day we, we drove out again and via a different road kind of along the coast and then headed over towards the top of Loch Ness and Inverness area and a little bit north of there to a town called, um, uh, Dornoch, which is, and I had never heard of it and, uh, it's on the North sea. So it's kind of on the opposite, um, coast of that part of Scotland from where we'd been spending time. And again, you know, just got a little rental place and, and then went into to Dornoch and, and had some dinner. And then we, we went to, there's a, an old castle there that's been converted to a hotel. And there's this incredible whiskey shop there called um, Carnegie Whiskey Cellars. And, and we were there just 10 minutes before closing on a Sunday. And the guy that runs the shop, you know, we apologize for arriving so late. And he said, no problem. And like, so he like closed the store and took us in this back room and just started pouring things and letting us try things and explaining all the whiskeys. And one of the things we wanted to do was, was get some whiskeys that we could bring home that maybe we couldn't find in the U S and he helped us do that. And then he, they have this arrangement where they'll ship, uh, you know, a certain number of bottles back to the U S and you don't have to pay the VAT VAT tax. And then the, you just pay them oh, to okay. handle the shipping. And so they haven't arrived yet, but we're expecting uh, six bottles that we bought there uh, of some really interesting oh, stuff. So that's awesome should last us for, for a good long time. Um, yeah, we did some more hiking, went to pubs. How was the weather to throw out all this? Like I said, you know, on that, the, the only day that it rained was when we were on sky and we did that, that hike up to the old man of store. Otherwise we had kind of mixed, I mean, it was every once in a while you get a little bit of a few drops, but otherwise we had, you know, if you look at photos, you wouldn't even think it's Scotland because it's like blue sky yeah. and sun. And that's great. Great timing. So that was great. And, and then, as I mentioned, uh, as we were kind of headed back south on our way back to Glasgow, we stopped through Bewley, which is a little town not far from Inverness. And I'd wanted to visit Campbell's of Bewley um, for a long time. And uh, if you recall the that uh, Jerry Can mini bar, that's where that came from. I, I sent you one of those. Of course, yeah. Got one, and 
Um, and John's a big, uh, the owner is a, a big kind of Land Rover and watch guy. And uh, he welcomed us there and gave us kind of a tour of the shop. And that's so good. He was wearing an old vintage Smiths and, and uh, he's got, you know, Lego Land Rovers all around and his, his own Defender 90 parked out front. And yeah, just tried on a few things, uh, got a couple of sweaters and a cap and and just hung out there. I mean, it's the kind of place I could have stayed all day. It just has a very kind of warm, homey sort of feel. <laughs> Uh, and, yeah, and the so photos were great. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, from there, we ended up going to uh, kind of headed back towards Glasgow, and we wanted to come via the Cairngorms, which is a huge national park in Scotland, um, very mountainous, um, some some great hikes and lakes and things. And uh, we we found a, another Airbnb, which I, which I think was the absolute winningest Airbnb I've ever had, and probably ever will have. It was this little <laughs> cottage in a small town called Boat of Garton named because it's on this little river called the Garten River, and there used to be a ferry boat that would take people across, so it was always kind of named that. And it was a little cottage belonged to, uh, it seems to be, uh, had good luck with people named John in Scotland, but the, uh, the owner, John, was, was a very pleasant guy and lives across the street. Um, and it was really this old cottage that he had bought this property uh, 15 years ago, used to live there himself and kind of cleared all the brush. The, the cottage, he said, was ready for demolition, but he wanted to kind of restore it. And it had this lovely fireplace in the living room and just loaded bookshelves with, you know, all sorts of interesting uh, books. And and then there was a, a fireplace in the bedroom, which was, which is always fun, you know, to kind of go to sleep to a nice crackling wood fire. And, and then on our last night, we'd been chatting with, with John off and on via the Airbnb um, kind of messaging service. And, and I said, Hey, if you, if you want to stop over tonight, you know, and have, have a drink with us uh, later on, please do. So he, he arrives with this bag with like, five bottles of scotch and and he stayed till late <laughs> and it was the last night before we had to drive back to glasgow and we had big aspirations for you know kind of an early morning and boy that went right out the window i mean we as uh, as someone said later um it resulted in a uh, a foggy morning in the glen i guess is how the uh, <laughs> how, <laughs> how the scots uh, call a, a hangover or, or maybe just feeling a little foggy the next day so um sure but yeah, it was it was a great Airbnb, and uh, and I'd love to go back and spend a month there and write a book or something. Sounds so good, man. And then on the way back, the last day, the last drive to to get back to Glasgow, we took um, a road that again uh, John from Campbell's recommended, but also our dear friend uh, Henry Catchpole had done a video on this uh, several years ago when he was with Evo, and he calls it the his favorite road in the UK if not the world which is very high praise i think very yeah uh, and henry had driven it years ago in um, the N430 Aston Martin produced this amazing video oh of course yes i remember that video and it, the road is called the, the old military road and it's from i believe the 1700s um, and of course it's paved now but it, again it's I mean, it's like a roller coaster of a road it goes up and over mountains and past ski stations and you know windy bends through small towns and I mean, it's just like yeah it's it's truly is a, a road that lives up to the the high praise uh, from henry and others and so yeah that that took us out of the highlands and and got us back to to glasgow um in one piece you know with with this old uh, this old diesel land rover which which did great for the whole trip it was really uh really fantastic so man from all those different spots it really sounds like a perfect trip it really was a perfect trip yeah yeah. What what are like a generous support from so many different parties to make sure that you had like a proper Scottish welcome everywhere you went? Oh yeah. Man, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Lewis, um, who who lent us the the Land Rover, he um, you know, we asked if he had a cooler that we could use to put groceries and stuff in and, and he kind of stocked it with a few a few local favorites. <laughs> he had some uh, smoked kippers that were in a <laughs> a, a kind of a, a vacuum sealed pouch and then uh, a haggis. He actually gave us a haggis. Um and, and said, you guys have to eat this. And sure. we were, you know, a little skeptical, um, but I was willing to try. And so uh, I think it was our first or second night, we kind of arrived at the cottage we were renting a bit late and didn't have a ch chance to go to the grocery store. So I said, well, I'm going to make the, I'm going to make the haggis. And so I sliced it and, uh, and kind of sauteed it in a pan with, uh, I <laughs> put a little whiskey in with it to sure. kind of moisten it up yeah. and cut some apples into small pieces. And it was actually pretty darn good. So um, that's my own, my own twist on, on haggis. You can, uh, you can you can call that uh, the the heat and haggis recipe, but uh, it turned out pretty good. So, well, hey, speaking of Lewis, you want to get to this interview you uh, recorded with him? Yeah, let's do it. Um, 
Lewis Heath, again, I mentioned, is uh, kind of the founder of On Ordain. He's a, an interesting guy, lives in, in up in the Highlands uh, in Scotland, even though he's not from Scotland originally. He kind of moved around the UK when he was younger. He came to On Ordain from another company that he uh, co-owned, uh, which was an audio company. They actually made um, headphones. Okay. Um, and, and he's cool. uh, kind of trained as an architect and product designer and uh, really a fascinating guy, really has a, a diverse set of interests you know, in terms of uh, Land Rovers and, and good food and, and Scotland and, and watches. And he gave us a nice tour of On Ordain. And so we sat down for, I'd say, probably about a 25-minute chat. Hope you enjoy it. So uh, here, without further ado, is Lewis Heath. All right, Lewis Heath from On Ordain. Uh, welcome to the Grey NATO. Thanks very much. It's nice nice to be here. We're, we're sitting here uh, in a, on a rare sunny moment here in... Uh, in Glasgow. I just had a nice tour of On Ordain and it, it's such a fascinating, it's very different from, from other watch companies I've visited. And, and I'm just curious, um, first of all, maybe you can tell a little bit about your background and, and how you ended up in this, in this business. Yeah, sure. Um, I, so I, I started out in architecture, um, studying, studying architecture. And then after I graduated, I went into product design. So I had a bit of a, um, experience there. But the um, yeah, the, the watchmaking really came from a desire to do things in in one place rather than design one, you know, in, in the UK and then send things out to to Asia to get made, because um, that's that's what my kind of my last job was involved, um, and so I had an interest in watches and I had always thought it'd be you know be an interesting thing to do, but really it was what watchmaking kind of allowed in terms of you know facilitating production and development and design in 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 one space yeah. so um i think you you could kind of get that i think feeling when you go around the studio don't you it's it's um it's a bit of a hive of activity and uh, yeah experimenting yeah and and it feels um like a, almost like a uh, how to describe it, like an artist's cooperative or something. It feels like yes, it a, a, does, a, sort of yeah. artists with very yeah. distinct different talents and interests all kind of working together. And and I feel like that might trickle down from the top a little bit. Um, I, I'm, I'm wondering if, it sounds like you came into this with an interest in in developing kind of a different way of working and, and a challenge of developing this product in the UK and, and watches are obviously fascinating. But do you, do you come to it with, from like this long-standing passion or interest in watches were you a collector or anything like that no no not at all i mean i i was interested in watches i think when i started out from architecture school i uh i my taste in watches was very much uh, uh kind of bauhausy and uh like the max bill watch and, and the bronze and things like that and i you know i had like my architectural uh, education was, was very uh sort of mid-century modernist um so I, I thought things like Rolexes were hideous and gaudy and stuff. So, <laughs> I mean, that that's obviously changed since I've got more into watches. But no, I think I came from that background. But but a lot of the people in the company are don't have an interest in watches, but have a, a huge interest in their aspect of watchmaking. So so the, so the jewelers, um, even actually, it's interesting. The watchmakers, you'd think they'd know everything about watches, but. They know everything about how watches work, yeah. and they'll be fascinated by things that you or I probably have never come across inside a watch. But they couldn't tell you what the reference number of you know this or that is. So yeah. it's, it's yeah. They, they they have a different um, you know they don't maybe read the magazines that, that you or I might. Um, so <laughs> right. so everyone comes at it from a different place, and it, it it is it is really interesting. So yeah. given that, I mean, we're I, I'm seeing a, a definite um, upsurge in interest and kind of. Uh, chatter about kind of british watchmaking where, where do you think honordain fits into the the scene mm. um, if if that's even possible to answer we're we're kind of um i'd say on the fringes probably is 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 fair to say um i mean british watchmaking is interesting in that it has become very popular lately or, or become very talked about but there isn't uh, it's it, there are, there are some companies doing amazing things. Frodsham in London are, I mean, they've got a team of about 20 as well, and they're, they're doing, I mean, they're, they're, they make their own um, spring bars. Mm. I mean, no one makes wow. their own spring yeah, bars, right. but they go to that level. Yeah. I mean, they are experts at, at kind of black polishing. Um, I mean, they're, they're fantastic. You've got the Struthers in Birmingham, those two, um, who are doing amazing work. 
Um, obviously, you've got Roger Smith on the Isle of Man. Um, and then us up here. But I think we're the only people like that kind of... There is watchmaking here, and that's them. But I think the people who do a lot of talking about it are maybe not making things. They're, they're marketing things, you know. And, right. and we're in, you know, we're in Glasgow... And it's quite nice to be outside of the watch, whether it be Switzerland or, or British watchmaking, you're just kind of, we're in a little bubble and we, we kind of try and solve the problems we've got with whatever we're doing that day. And you, you get absorbed in it. And it's, it's nice to be away from everything, I think. So, um, yeah, we do, we work with Struthers and, and we've, I mean, that, that machine behind me is from Frodsham. So we, yeah. we have a good relationship with these people and it's, it's, it's nice. But it's, it's um, so for, for me and for, for us here, I think, British watchmaking is about that and people who do things, but those aren't the guys that you'll hear about when people talk about British watchmaking, I think. It, it, it also seems like your existence sort of on the fringes of, of British watchmaking, um, despite or because of that, uh, there's a lot of talk about Honor Dane. I mean, I, I see you know, great reviews and articles, and, and even last night we had a little get-together um, in Glasgow, and, and I had mine my model one on the table and people, Oh, is that an honor Dane? Uh, you know, picking it up and looking at it. And, and so there's a gen, uh, general interest in, in the brand. Um, and it seems like you have a pretty extensive wait list now. Company seems to be doing pretty well. Um, is that fair to say? We've been, yeah, I, I think it's, um, not, not by design. I have to say, I mean, it's, it's nice that things are going well, but it's, it's very much, we're doing something that, that we found interesting and we've, and I think we, myself and, and the team as well, approach things in a very, um, like in a, in a way that we'd want to, we, we've created a company that is a company that we'd want to work with if we were a customer, I think. And, and just, we, we're not good at, we're not good at marketing at all. I mean, we, we don't do marketing. Um, and I think we've just done something interesting. People obviously, luckily, seem to like it. Yeah. If they didn't, we'd be stuck. So yeah. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, you're right. I don't. I don't see a lot of. Um, I don't see a lot of marketing. I don't see. Uh, I mean, maybe you advertise. Uh, we've not. We've not done advertising, or we don't have any marketing or salespeople. It's. Yeah. It's. It's just people yeah. who kind of facilitate making and distributing what we. We produce. I, the vibe I get with Honor Dane reminds me of a, another. Shall we say, in the best possible way, quirky smaller brand that's gotten bigger. Um, Nomos. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nomos, uh, over the years, I've seen, I, I like their designs. They're very clean. They're very different than, than other brands are doing. And, and the way that they present themselves is very much in a almost playful way. They, 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 they have put out some interesting sort of publications and specific versions of their watches. And, and, and I sort of see a... Yeah, a it's, well, I, I'm a big Nomos fan, so it's the very nice thing to say. Um, I, I think they are very much grounded in design as well, and that's yeah. that's where they came from. That's that's where our you know our companies come from too. So it's, it's probably there are probably similarities in. Yeah, your brand is largely known um, for the enameling, the enamel dials. I, I think you know, having met the uh, a bunch of the team uh, just now, you know, you pull you've pulled them from art schools and and you know different different lines of work that is outside the, the watch industry which is uh, obviously lends this this vibe to the company i'm sure you've given it thought but how how will honor dane evolve will you continue the kind of push the envelope of of the artistry will you move further into watchmaking um, in terms of movement design different complications how do you do that how do you it's yeah it's, it's a really interesting question i mean we've got obviously we've got a lot of demand for the products we do at the moment and that's always presented uh, to, to some degree an issue because our, our development of new products is done by the same people who produce our current products. So the, the enameling team is, is doing that and the watchmakers. And, um, and so we, we've, we've had to make quite a conscious decision to um, separate, separate out. It, it's approximately 30% of the, the time is spent on, on development now. And um, and that's what I think that's what everyone finds interesting here is is trying new ideas and and seeing how how much we can we kind of push our you know our abilities with enameling. Um, so so very much the future is going to be about that. Um, and and watchmaking is is a big part of that. I mean we're this this room we're in at the moment is has been home to um, one of our watchmakers who, who's just been doing module development. Um, for the past two years, um, 
and, and you know there'll be there'll be more interesting things coming out in the future but it's it's still going to stay hopefully within this this idea of things being being um kind of good value uh, and yeah. um so so yeah there's there's um there's a lot happening yeah 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 so uh, speaking of evolving the company i mean it, it's uh, it's a happy coincidence that the day that this episode goes live is a day that that han ordain has a collaboration launching with hodinki a special project can you tell us a little bit about that watch yeah, absolutely. It's something very special. Uh, we so it's kind of a progression of our our development in 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 dial making, um, and it is what we believe is is a kind of a world first, if you like. It's um it's the first time this this has been done, uh, and the, the 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 watch itself is a sunburst dial, but it's a hand engraved sunburst. So it, it's actually been every single line in this sunburst dial has been cut by hand, and that isn't you know, that that I mean, can't really be understated the the kind of difference that makes when when you compare that to a machine. Normally, some bursts are, are done with a, a wire brush or, or or stamped if they're deeper. Um, but cutting each one by hand, but with an engraver, is um, it every line is deeper and it's it's cut, but it's also polished at the same time with the with the engraver. Um, and yeah, we have we have one person who's been doing this constantly for uh <laughs> for over a year um and it's i mean it's it's physically i mean it, it's it's very tiring but it's also the concentration involved is is remarkable um you know, each dial has it's they, they were counting them today it's every eighth of the dial has 150 strokes in it so oh, wow. uh, the the maths is it should Jeez. be straightforward yeah. for that yeah. but um it's it's each each silver dial that's engraved is two days of work wow. and then we use on average three dials to make one enameled finished dial um and due to the kind of the the, the nature of the work the, the kind of um the physical challenges of it, it the car does two days of work of that and then three days of enameling so if, if you if you actually work it out it's taken as um it's it, it, we make about one a month of wow. them. So, wow. but it, because it was such a special thing, and, and we'd kind of, uh, you know, it, it's there's nothing new about sunburst dials or enamel dials or any of these things. But this combination I, that we'd never seen before, we thought it would be nice to be able to launch it in a way that would be would people would kind of take notice, perhaps, um, rather than us just putting it into the mailing list. And uh, yeah, but it has gone. I mean, the, the the tricky thing about it is that we've we've worked out this very kind of organized I think very fair waiting list system where you kind of it's first come first served and 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 we did say we weren't going to do any limited editions but this predates that system by by you know it, I think we've been on this for for uh, 18 months now at least um so it is it is a little bit tricky in that we can make one a month and you know if we're, if we're trying to make 50 watches a month and everyone asks for one of these it's going to be yeah it's going to cause some problems so yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping it's it's more of a kind of a, a showcase of what what we've been able to do. Um, yeah, I saw some examples of of uh, the work um, in the studio, and it's it's pretty amazing. And and given the the waste, if we want to call it that, that happens with enameling just because of the process, does that mean that those some of those hand engraved dials, when they're enameled, they have to be discarded? Because yeah, of, they'll be they'll be. What a shame for the for the uh the engraver that's that's amazing it is uh, yeah i mean i can't quite imagine <laughs> that either to be honest it's um it's like uh sisyphus or something yes <laughs> pushing the rock up the hill yeah yeah that's an interesting idea that that this this new type of dial has has come out um or that you're bringing this out and and i'm curious like how is how are ideas generated is is you have this team of artists that that most came, didn't come from watchmaking. They came from from jewelry and from um, art schools. And did they come up with their own ideas where they say, you know, I think we could do, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of, you know, other, I mean, in the future, some of the sort of inlaid techniques and things. I mean, I, I suppose they could approach and say, I think we could do a dial with, you know, whatever else. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's, there's the ideas kind of come from everywhere. A lot of, I mean, I say this a lot, but one of the lovely things about working and creating things in the, in terms of manufacturing and also designing things in the same place is that when something goes wrong, you see how it's gone wrong. And sometimes what happened 
is potentially better than what was meant to happen, mm -hmm. you know, or, or, or you can fix the problems. But I mean, things like the Fumé technique that we developed, that was the first ever Fumé enamel dial. And that came from warping. So the, the, the silver base buckled in the middle and the middle became lighter. So we realized we could create this domed silver base. And so we went through working out how you create something that didn't buckle, but was domed in the middle and and that gave us the, the film technique so i mean that that was an experiment um and and they yeah the, the, i mean there's there is yeah there's just a huge breadth of knowledge in in that that spans all all kind of you know silversmithing and and um jewelry and um and enameling that the team have so, so there's a lot of interest that will will come out of that when when you started on ordain um did did you have this vision from the start that you would that enameling would be that was that your vision like enamel dials are going to be our calling card or what what was kind of the I, no no it wasn't i mean i i can remember because I, I think we we're talking about this um basically and i actually now remember not having vision and being quite quite <laughs> worried about that you know because everyone thinks you start a company you've got this this, this clear vision of what's going to happen and i was fascinated by making things and i, I just wanted to make something here and and you know and and it, and when we're looking at watches I've, i was interested in what could people in britain do so you know strap makers straps could be made by people making belts and cnc yeah. machines for cases and all that stuff and and dials were going to be made by coin makers for mints you know and mm. so i went down to birmingham and there was a there was a a coin there with um enamel on it a commemorative enamel oh. coin and it was it was really striking it was bright red poppy on there hmm. and that that kind of where the idea came from i thought let's try and do some enameling um and we tried for about a year with a company there and, and the tolerances were, were never good enough so um i went to the art school and and kind of put a job ad up and we had one <laughs> applicant who <laughs> um uh adam and he was uh, luckily very good, and he spent the next three years just chipping away at this. So, um, but the idea was, you know, taking this very traditional craft of enameling and kind of fuse it with interesting design and colours and things that maybe weren't in the in the in the kind of watchmaking, um, you know, it's historically there. You know, the, the, we deliberately went avoided doing white styles to start with, and and just went in for things like pinks and blues and, and you get all these you know i mean the thing about enamel that's, that's really special is is color you know yeah, it's it's yeah. there's nothing that will render color like enamel it's just it's amazing and so just to do white dials seems to be a shame so that that's that's kind of where we came from yeah yeah i was i was going to ask if if there was something particularly scottish about the brand other than the name which is named after a, a lock up north from here and and your previous answer makes me think that maybe it's not scottish historically but the fact that it was born out of some artistry from yeah. people from around here that, that have yeah i mean i'm obviously from my accent i'm not i'm not originally from here i've yeah. been in scotland for 20 years but i'm not scottish um i think i mean you can like we're seeing, there's a lot of talk of British watchmaking, and it's often I, I, you know, it can be a label that people use to sell things, and we we definitely avoid any kind of using you know, Scottish or British or anything like mm -hmm. that. But the the company does generally have a a shared. I mean, the the, the pool of people here are, are are mostly from Edinburgh College of Art, Glasgow School of Art, maybe Grayson, um, up north, and so they have they've they've come up through their the kind of creative education with with similar um i suppose similar tastes similar ideas and so there is this shared language here that is peculiar to 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 scotland i think and yeah. so i think generally there there is that aspect of of it being scottish but i mean we've got you know we've got um french we had portuguese um Martin is Ukrainian, one of the enamelers. I mean, there's there's a there's a pretty mixed bag here. Yeah. But it's, um, you mentioned you're not Scottish, and we've talked about this, but um, you uh, you're currently living here and, mm -hmm. and uh, moving a little bit away from from watches. You 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 have a, a, a property that you're sort of developing up north. Uh, what? Yeah. Um, we yeah, it was it was during the pandemic. We had three three small children in our flat, our second floor flat with a. Uh, no school and it was um that was the point where we decided this would be a good time <laughs> to go 
which I think a lot of people did at that time. But no, we've um, we've got a croft, which is uh, a croft is is the people think of a croft as a, a little cottage. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. But actually, a croft is a is a legal legal designation for for a piece of land huh. that you have to live on hmm. or live within thirty two kilometers of um, and and work the land. So it's it's um it's a it's a peculiar thing to not all of Scotland, but I think it's just the Highlands and a, a couple of the other um, parts. But uh, it's it's a really good idea. I mean, the, 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 it's to stop people from, uh, I suppose, just, just building a big house. Or something. Yeah, and, and yeah. not visiting it. So yeah. um, now my wife and kids live there and I, I commute. So I'm there at the weekends and uh, and here in the week. So keeps you busy Keep, yeah. keeps getting your hands dirty as opposed to you know during the week when you're it's it's a lovely break i mean it really yeah, is just yeah. um yeah. yeah it's kind of night and day from being the city yeah. working and then you're up up there so yeah, it's, um, yeah. I'm a, i get to play at being a farmer for, for a couple <laughs> of days which uh yeah it's good and and speaking of that you uh you recently uh acquired this old land rover yes, that, that you yeah. graciously uh, <laughs> yes. lent us for our, our journey around scotland and that came out of uh, a, a bit of a mishap with your pickup truck i think it, yeah well it wasn't the pickup actually i was up, i was um i was driving my the, the little skoda i keep at the station um back from smt and the brakes failed on the motorway and um <laughs> i uh managed to get off the motorway to this industrial estate and i was a little bit shaken up um I think I probably more than I realized, and I ended up buying a, uh, a Defender uh, <laughs> without having asked anything about it, other than it looked like it wasn't rusting. Um, yeah, but yeah. it was great. It, I mean, so far, touch yeah. wood, it's been it's been yeah. perfect. So I'll let you know. Um, yeah. Yes, yes. So uh, yeah, there's the there's now a bed in the back of it, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and a cool box with a haggis in which you're going to eat. <laughs> we'll see. We're, we're terrified. <laughs> It's I'll really, are you, I, yeah. I promise nothing to be scared of. Yeah. Uh, it will yeah. be, yeah. it will be yeah. good. Well, I want to kind of close with something I've started doing with, with different people that we're chatting with. It's sort of a quick fire round of just short answer questions, mm. um, uh, just about various topics. So um, coffee or tea? Oh, both. I mean, it's morning and afternoon. So oh, okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Same here. Yeah. Yeah. Mountains or sea? Like, oh, mountains, I'd say. Really? Yeah. Okay. okay. You just mentioned haggis, but uh, your most favorite or strangest food love? Oh, uh, Peking duck. Yeah, really? homemade Peking duck. Yeah, it, it's my my dad used to make it for from, and it was a, a every birthday. So oh wow, yeah, okay, no, good. Right. Okay, do you have a favorite movie? I always used to like the English Patient actually, which oh. I know is uh, is maybe a, an odd one these days, but yeah, that was oh, a. Oh, that's my favorite movie actually. I love that movie. Oh right, oh, that's fine. My my wife and I realized that was a. Joint favorite movie when uh, we met as well, which is uh, yeah, it was, uh, love that movie. It's a, yeah. it's a good yeah. and and actually the 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 author Michael and Dante's the book is fantastic as well. Yeah, yeah, from Sri Lanka actually. Yes, yeah, no, I, I remember yeah. that. Favorite travel destination or maybe favorite one or or one that you'd like to visit. You can answer either or both. I have to say, I the the older I get, the more I like coming home. Actually, the more. Mm. It's nice to be up in the Highlands. Yeah, um, but I wouldn't. That, that's not a proper answer. Um, I don't. I, I. I really like. Uh, there's. There's. I love going to foreign countries, and I know this sounds awful, but going to supermarkets because you go in, oh, yeah. and then there's just all this stuff you've never seen before, <laughs> and that that's very exciting. So any country I go to, I, I find exciting. Yeah, I like. I like. I like home as a travel destination because it's true. It does become. You, a destination you always end up there. Yeah. 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 If you weren't doing what you are now what would you want to do or what would be kind of a dream job or something maybe you wish you'd done or, or maybe still might do? Yeah, I think when I was when I was at university, I thought I was going to do um, something to do with kind of public spaces and architecture, trying to improve public spaces. With, mm. That was my, my plan and then I kind of got, got sidetracked. So, yeah, um, yeah. So maybe something, uh, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then one last question. If you, I, I'm borrowing this from the the show De Desert Island Discs. Mm, yeah, um, if you were on a if you were on a desert island um, and you could have one kind of luxury item, I should know that I listened to it as well, but I've never <laughs> actually thought about what I'd take. I probably a fishing rod. I think. Yeah. 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 Do, do you fish currently? Do you, I do. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, um, I'm not as much as I, I used to. Be. I, I fly fish, and it's oh, it's nice. a very very relaxing. Uh, yeah. I. I, I yeah. I like it when I get time, but it's been a while. So. Well, 
Lewis Heath, thank you so much for uh, for joining me on the, on the Grey NATO, and uh, and also thank you for lending lending me your soon to be you know. Well, well you can, you can let everyone know how it goes. Or... Yes, <laughs> hopefully well. And the haggis, yes. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Okay, thank you so much to Lewis Heath of Anordain, and congrats, obviously, on the new launch. Uh, I, I think a very beautiful and special thing. Uh, hit the show notes if you want to see any of that, but a huge shout out to Lewis, not only for supporting Jason on this incredible trip, but also taking a few minutes to get us uh, a nice, fun little interview there for the show. So, yeah, super cool. Can't wait to cross paths with Lewis again. He's a, a great guy and we're big fans of the brand. So, yeah, yeah, it was great. And and speaking of the the Hodinkee uh, LE that 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 we talked about briefly, um, I had a chance to see the dials, um, some of the dials that, oh, that man worked on. And it was it was it was pretty astounding. Um you know, I'm not usually kind of a, a dial nerd or look into the details mm-hmm. of, of kind of high watchmaking, but it was very impressive. And um, contrary to what you might think, the fact that this episode is running like on the day of launch and uh, and the, the kind of your affiliation with Hodinkee, it was a complete coincidence. I had no idea. I think he yeah. just said, here's this thing we're doing for Hodinkee. And I was like, what? And and lo and behold, it it launched, uh, I think, yesterday or today. So it's uh, it's really awesome. I knew of the watch a little while ago. Like I knew that it was there was a, an LE happening, yeah. but I hadn't seen the strict details until you were already in Scotland, <laughs> and I didn't want to put any pressure, obviously, on Lewis. I also don't know what his like, you know, what he signed with Hudinky, all that kind of stuff about talking about it. But then, right, uh, it, when you said, "Oh, we recorded it; it'll come out the same day as the watch," I was like, "Hey, sometimes these things work out." I, you know, it's one of these things. I don't know if I'll ever actually see one, let alone a dial, let alone a watch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not many made, and the response was almost ridiculous yeah uh to to like shout out obviously to to lewis and his team for making a, a really gorgeous kind of special watch that people are pumped about but also just to like the general level of the execution of the the layout and everything else for for hodinky i think was was pretty cool and I, I think it's a good one i hope it's one i get to see at some point yeah so. yeah good luck to uh anyone who tried to to pick one up i know there weren't that many and that uh, interest was pretty high so yeah I, I don't know, man. I, I We were saying just offline there for a moment between uh, the end of the interview and the start of this little bit that it just sounded like such a great trip. And like you really kind of threaded the needle in terms of time and support and having the ability to have the uh, Land Rover. You have this like very high level of autonomy that allowed you to really like explore the landscape. I, I'm super happy for you and Gashani. Yeah. Sounds like a great one. Yeah, it'll definitely sustain us for um, for a while now. You know, you, it's nice to have kind of one big trip in a year, and this uh, this really felt like something that'll kind of keep us going through the summer. So, good Absolutely. times. Absolutely, that's great. You want to put a bow on it with some final notes? Yeah, sure. Um, the the day that we were leaving uh, Glasgow Airport happened to mm-hmm. be May fourth, and it was the day that uh, a new book came out um, by Charlie Higson, who was an author who had written a series of books under the Young Bond. Kind of label he was doing sort of these these kind of prequel books um, about James Bond as a young person like set back in the 1930s when he would have been like a school age boy and uh, and he wrote a book um, that was kind of commissioned by the Ian Fleming uh, family called On His Majesty's Secret Service and it was meant to coincide okay. with the coronation and so mm-hmm. the book was released on the fourth I, I actually downloaded the audiobook in the airport um, as just before we flew out. And I listened to it pretty much on the entire flight home. It's a pretty quick read and, uh, and it's really good. So, you know, we, we talked about the Kim Sherwood book, uh, double or nothing, uh, several months ago. And that, and that was well-received and a good book. I think this is right up there. I think it's uh, it's a brisk pace. It's a, it's a really good plot that he put together in a very short amount of time, um, in time for the coronation. And I'm not, I'm not going to give anything away about the plot, but if you're kind of into, you know, the whole bond, um, book thing or, or films and, and the whole kind of bond universe. I think this one would be worth, uh, worth checking out. I think it was, uh, it was fun to read kind of almost in real time because it, it actually literally takes place on the day that the book was released. So it was, it was a fun read. So yeah, check it out on his Majesty's secret service by Charlie Higson. That's awesome. Sounds like a good one for sure. I could use a, another read and, and the audio would be a great way to do it. I assume. Yeah. And he reads it and he does a good job. So yeah. Oh, killer. Definitely. That's always fun. Yeah. Well, look, mine's a quick one this week because it's actually just a kind of an echo or a follow up from the previous episode we did with uh, Thomas Holland from Throttle House uh, in that we talk about the production of and the release. You know, the show came out a few days after the release of part one of this uh, desert road trip they did. So it's it's kind of a, you know, a a three part series in the guys, the, the format of like a big Top Gear, old school sort of like Top Gear 
travel in inexpensive cars. In this case, not that inexpensive, especially for James. But the um, the second part has come out. It's called The Road to Enlightenment. And I just wanted to shout it out because I, I enjoyed the first episode. I thought it was great. Five stars, whatever, whatever you want to say. But the second one was even better. Uh, it's just really nicely produced. It's super funny. The cars are great. I, I think they have, a, you know, kind of a fantastic chemistry. And uh, given that we had Thomas on last week, if you decided not to listen to that one because it was out of our norm, you know, we like to occasionally have a guest host on uh, when one of us can't be in an episode and, and Thomas was around. And I think he did a lovely job on the episode, a, a totally different vibe than than a normal episode, which I think is really fun. But more specifically, this this kind of three part series they're working on. If, if you've already watched one and two, the, the third part will come out in a few days time. I believe on um, on Sunday following the uh, launch of this episode on the 11th. So check it out. It, it's super good stuff. If you're if you're a fan of the old school sort of Top Gear format, the big road trips or the transcontinental races, I think you'll get a, a kick out of this. It's uh, it's really nicely done, but better than you're going to expect for YouTube these days, for sure, <laughs> which I think is kind of a high bar to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I'll have to check that out. And, uh, you know, my uh, my Sincere thanks to Thomas for filling in uh, for me last week uh, when I was gone. I haven't actually had a chance to, to listen to the episode, but I certainly will. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's nice to mix things up a little bit and bring somebody new in. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to subscribe to the show notes, get into the comments for each episode, or consider supporting the show directly, which can even net you a brand new TGN signed NATO, please visit thegraynado.com. Music throughout is Siesta by Jazzar via the free music archive. And we leave you with this quote from Bruce Chatwin, who said... Travel doesn't merely broaden the mind, it makes the mind.